Hello, hello, welcome, and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. As usual, I am joined on the call by my co-host Joe, and as we like to do, we also have a special guest for today's show, and he happens to be notorious for supporting the club that I love and a club that Joe hates. So naturally, I've set this up in a way where Joe will be introducing our guest soon. Joe, how are you, mate? Hello, Kaitel. Uh, I'm good, thanks. Um, even more so after the um, the results on the weekend, um, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, shame about the international break, though. Yeah, kind of kind of wanted that to continue, but you know these international breaks, eh, they seem to you know, come up every other week. Um, but speaking all things international, today's guest is a Brit who these days resides in the states, a bit like uh, my co-host Kaitel. So, um, a big welcome to the podcast to Pete from the Grove. Pete started the Arsenal fan blog, The Grove, back in 2007, and today he has nearly 72,000 followers on Twitter, and he also features on the podcast The Arsenal Opinion. Pete, welcome to the United Mates Football Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, no, well, we're you know, very happy for you to be here, even if you are, sadly, of course, an Arsenal fan, but I'll have to, I'll have to accept <laughs> that, I think, for the good of this recording. So um, speaking of this recording, we are recording on the 11th of November, and I believe it's a bit of a tradition on the 11th of November to make a wish. Um, and likewise, we're all familiar with making wishes when you blow out candles on a birthday cake. For in so, well, what our icebreaker is going to be today is it's going to be birthday theme related. So Pete, what we'd like to know from you is what, when you were younger, was your favourite birthday party game from your childhood? It could have been a bit of Simon Says, Pass the Parcel, Musical Chairs, I don't know. What was it? You know, I, I, I can't even think of many. I, it, maybe when you get a little bit older and some like parents would rent out a five-a-side football pitch. That was, those were the good times because they weren't as abundant when I was young. So going to a AstroTurf five-a-side pitch felt like a felt like a good a good birthday game. Yeah, I, I can remember a few good birthday parties on five-a-side pitches or similar sort of things. Um, Kai, did did you have um, a favourite birthday-related game when you were younger? Yeah, um, also having to rack my brain a little bit, but off the top of my head, it would be past the parcel because. I would always cheat and hang on to it for like a little extra time, hoping that they would stop the music and I could open it. Although I guess it's layers. So until you know that you're the one at the, at the end, you're never really sure. And then a shout out, because Pete mentioned um, sort of like parents renting venues and, and whatnot. Um, Joe, I don't know. We're obviously, we were in the same year at school. So we, we had kind of come up at the same time. But do you remember someone, Ali Doolally, Joe, who was kind of infamous around North London being rented out to kids' yeah. birthday parties? Yeah, I remember him. I also remember Adam Ant. I know there's that sort of pop star Adam Ant, but there was also definitely a sort of children's party entertainer called Adam Ant too, yeah. I think Ali Doolally was like, that was a time when he could get away with calling himself that. Um, for the best. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's really yeah, working as Ali Doolally these days. But, Probably um, not. Uh, let's just move on to some sort of like more personal questions for you, Pete, before we get into the more general Arsenal chat, which considering how results have gone recently. I don't know if I'm dreading that or, or looking forward to it. But anyway, Pete, um, you're in New yeah. York at the moment. Um, yeah. Obviously, there was a time when you were more deeply rooted in London. And, you know, that's a hell of a mm -hmm. lot closer to the old Highbury and to the Emirates Stadium now, of course. So there's the London connection between you and Arsenal. But beyond that, where did your love for the club come from? How did you start supporting Arsenal? 
the good old fashioned way, being forced by my dad and given no choice but to support the Arsenal. That was it. He, I, I, w- I was born in a in a hospital um, in Great Portland Street, which I believe is technically the the closest club to the Great Portland Street Clinic or whatever it's called is Arsenal. So okay. I was born to the closest top tier um, first division club as it was um, back then. So uh, yeah, I think I tried to dabble in other clubs, but it, it it wasn't a goer. So I was kind of like bribed into it, Christmas presents, you know, going up to Finsbury Park to get the new kits, getting changed on the platform, that sort of thing. Um, and my dad was a season ticket holder, so um, I got pulled into I got pulled into it that way. And then I think once you start going to real life games and you, you, you know, you bond with your dad and then your dad's friends. And then we found out that we had this other half of the family we didn't know about that were Arsenal fans as well. And, you know, they're my, they're, they're the guys that I go to Arsenal with now. So it's been a, it's been a family thing through and through. Um, and, you know, like I, 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 I grew up with like during the trophy laden years. So George Graham, you know, I saw him win a bunch of trophies. I've, went to cup finals early days you know we had a bit of a rough patch with George Graham but then like my formative years was just pure Arsene Wenger at his best um and then I got into my 20s and it didn't didn't go that didn't go that well in the 20s but I'm now I'm hooked into the club yeah we actually have quite a similar and different in some ways sort of uh origin story for our, our arsenal supporting uh, i think i might even have been at the, uh, born at the same same hospital so that's quite funny but otherwise um i was going to say my dad's a spurs fan so we have that opposite end of the spectrum oh, wow. still in spite of that just goes to show you how passionate of a spurs fan in is he is which is not very so he didn't really do do much to dissuade me <laughs> he even took me to my first arsenal game and and all that so he's kind of just I guess he came came as a dad first and a Spurs fan second, um, which yeah worked out for me because all my mates at school were Arsenal fans, except for Joe, who um, <laughs> will be used to being sort of like surrounded no, by, by Arsenal there fans. Is no way, there is no way if I ever have children that they will never be Arsenal fans. I'd rather they, <laughs> I'd have to kick them out of the home if they became. Well, hopefully that doesn't doesn't cause any uh, any awkward uh, family issues moving forward, Joe. But um, otherwise. Uh, just want to jump to some of your your writing, uh, Pete. Um, and obviously, you've been blogging, you know, daily as the Grove for for years now. Um, but speaking of uh, some of your other uh, endeavors, I was I was lucky enough to have Seb White, the the founder and and editor of Mundial, on a call with me the other week. And I noticed that that's a publication that you you've written for before. Um, and then you know, just outside of of the Grove, you you've you've done work for a bunch of media outlets. So. Given that you've blogged, like I was saying, as the Grove for years, is it difficult to step away from that perspective that you have as the Grove when you have to write pieces for other people? And I, I guess the bigger question is, is there a difference between the Grove, the writer and person and Peter Wood, the writer in person? Or, or has the Grove become a bit of an alter ego for you? Um, I, I don't know. It, uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. I don't I, I write the same way, regardless of who I'm writing for. And um, part of the reason that that it's worked for me, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be a journalist. I don't want to work in media. Um, I don't take advertising from the Grove because I just write what I think, and some people like it, some people hate it, and that's just the way that I roll. So it's um, it, it's not an it's not an alter ego. It's just me, 
and luckily people like it because <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be very good but I, and you know you when you when you write consistently for 14 years it becomes like muscle memory it's just a part of who I am I was wondering whether you know I would ever put down the put down the pen but I, I don't think I can now it's like you know if you go running every day uh, it becomes habit and if you write every day it's exactly the same feeling when you don't do it like the longest I've ever stepped away from it is two days and then you start getting chest starts tightening up and you start getting like antsy about that you haven't done something so it's very much a part of who I am and there's no alter ego about it it's just what I think um and sometimes that's that's a good thing and sometimes it's difficult but like you know as long as you're honest with the people that read and as long as you don't worry too much about you know when people don't like what you read it's it's been an enjoyable little ride that's interesting to hear well you know it sounds like it's been an enjoyable ride but um of course, Twitter is um, a social media channel that you're very um, big on, um, as we mentioned earlier on. But um, I guess being part of the Arsenal sort of social media community, like, I have to ask you about, well, I, I mean, I think not just fans of not supporting Arsenal, I think Arsenal fans agree. Arsenal Fan TV is a slightly bizarre thing that has come out of Arsenal social media. And yeah. I just wanted to know your opinions on that given that what you do and the likes of what Ask blog does and gunner blog and all these people is i'd say kind of more measured and less kind of clickbaity do do you really keep an eye on what the likes of arsenal fan tv do does it bother you that they're, a, they're they kind of create this sort of false impression maybe of arsenal fans what what do you think about the whole thing i think the the i think the the arsenal blogosphere twittersphere the, uh, the the arsenal community in general is phenomenal i i think it is batshit crazy um it's mad you know you never know there's so many crazy stories that you only know if you're sort of really in it day to day um i think i think it's a bit like theater sometimes and I don't always think that that's a, a positive thing, but look, Robbie, uh, Arsenal fan TV, what he's done is phenomenal. Like, I, I, I think that a lot of people want to step out and criticize him all the time. But, you know, I work in a creative business and I, I, know, I know what it's like to have people criticize your work and say that they hate you. Robbie creates something that fans want to watch and... If you sit in a stadium, everybody sat next to someone like DT or troops or whatever. Everybody knows that fan. They just bring it to the masses. And, uh, you know, they it, it's not Arsenal fan TV that creates the negativity. It's shit football or it's a bad transfer window. It like Arsenal fan TV, when it's, you know, not at its best, is a byproduct of the atmosphere around the club. Like you don't you don't really hear a lot of since Arteta's been in there haven't there haven't been you know those sort of crazy videos going around in the same way because the guys that watch Arsenal fan TV know that what's happening under Arteta is positive and they know that the club is investing in players and it makes sense and we know that the person running the club isn't a bad person now so I I I I think I think Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV is fantastic you know he's an entrepreneur he's a global superstar now and good for him 
but I also think that you go to Arsenal fan TV for a different thing. Um, you go, you know, you, you go there for a release. You come to Le Grove. You come to Arsplog. You come to Gunnerstown for like a, a slightly more measured response because. I, I write when I've had time to think about it, those guys go on and it's like on the whistle stuff, you know, I think there's some brilliant podcasts um, as well. So I, I don't, I don't have a, I don't think that one chat, like people used to say that my blog was responsible for the reaction to Arsene Wenger. It's like, no, my blog is a response to the, what Arsene Wenger is doing on the pitch. So there's always someone to blame, but I, I, it's harmless. And you know what, if you don't like it, just don't watch it. <laughs> And all the players watch it anyway. So it's like, I know Hector Bellerin had a problem with one of them, but Aubameyang calls up troops. You yeah, know, he, loves like, he loves it. Yeah, they, they love it. It can't be that bad. Wow. God. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to say, I, I've watched it a few times, but obviously I tend to watch it like the majority of non-Arsenal fans when, yeah, there's, there's a result a bit like Sunday or something like that, which I'm sure we'll get into in due course probably fairly soon. But you, you've also, you know, Spurs have also got, you've got those two twins that oh, they're, yeah. they're no, a joke, right? Yeah. But you, you, you're like, I'm, I love the fact that they put this humiliating stuff online because it's great. Yeah, and no, I, I mean, my, my sort of opinion on the whole thing is it, I, I, I personally just wouldn't want to put myself, oh, we, we're on a podcast, we, we like to put our opinions out there, but yeah, I, I struggle to understand why some people would quite want to put that, those opinions out there. Well, like you said, that kind of, instant response which is not like you said it's not measured it's it's yeah you know we've all watched football games have gone a bit crazy but yeah wow there's some, um, there's yeah. some stuff out there for sure yeah Tottenham and Arsenal yeah. and, and and it's like you know football is not a rational sport right so why should fan why should fans always be rational like you go like I was a, I still am a season ticket technically but you know I, I've spent 20 years going to Arsenal when you're in that stadium, it is not a rational place. The things that come out of your mouth, like, oh my God, I can't believe that I just shouted that at a referee or, a, or an opposition fan. Like when you spill out after, like nothing is rational. It's tribal. And it's, you know, if you're not creating some sort of emotion when you are producing content around football, then you are not creating good content as far as I'm concerned. Now, those guys take it like the video guys take it to an extreme, but um, I I like it. And I, th- I think that... All of it in the mixing pot together makes for a good internet, in my opinion. Yeah, you got to have variety for all the people like yourself, like you said, who are coming at it potentially a little bit more measuredly. Yeah, you need the opposite end of the spectrum to keep it interesting. Um, Joe, I think you're ready to to jump into a yeah. more general Arsenal section, huh? Yes, I am. And as always for these Arsenal-themed episodes, of which we've done quite a few recently, um, Kaitel has given me the task of um, introing the Arsenal section. And um, I've got to say, on this occasion, I'm more than happy to do it, because given the time of the recording, Arsenal's most recent match was a 3-0 defeat at home to, um, uh, it has to be said, uh, Jack Grealish and Ross Barkley-inspired Aston Villa. Pete, my first question for you is, did you see Sunday night's result coming? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, uh, the, I think the last time we played Villa, we'd just come off of an FA Cup semi-final win and everybody was buzzing. We were thinking there was a chance of making Europe in the Premier League. And then we stepped up against Aston Villa. Everyone thought, you know, 
people called it a, a deep block and maybe, but we were ripped apart by um, Villa's creativity. And um, I think they, I'm pretty sure they beat us, right? And, um, you know, stayed up off the back of it. And I knew that there, I knew that there was a chance that that could happen after we beat Man United. You know, we took our foot off the gas. Um, Villa have got creative players that are unpredictable. There's a lot of pace in that side. And I think they've got a really, really good manager. And Mikel Arteta plays a fine margins game. And to play a fine margins game, you have to have 11 players that are on top of their game and everybody has to be on form because your defence can't leak and your strikers can't afford to um, to be wasteful in front of goal. We were, we were shit in defence. We were shit up front. And... Arteta had absolutely no reaction to it because he doesn't really have the players at the moment, but it was inexcusable. We got spanked in the second half and it was embarrassing. Um, but, it, it, you know, I think most Arsenal fans would have told you, you you could have seen it coming because we haven't had a lot of good performances this season and we've been kind of waiting for that moment, if I'm honest. Yeah, I'll just jump in there. And I think that I was speaking to some other Arsenal fans and some friends of mine after or before the Villa game and I was saying that the United win really papered over the cracks of the Leicester defeat the week before. If you kind of take those fixtures as they are and you see Leicester at home and United away, if we'd taken three points at from six, it's not the end of the world. And that's what ended up happening. Maybe not in the order that we expected it. You might've thought we'd beat Leicester at home and then lose to United away, but everyone got so excited about it, but it's like, wait a minute, we just lost to Leicester at home. Not that they're a bad side or anything, but it's like I said, it papered over the cracks and I wasn't either too surprised by the result in the end. Um, but Sticking on Arteta, um, since his arrival, you know, things have improved in a lot of ways and then sort of not really changed in, in some other ways. Um, and without going as far as to say that that's his fault or at least all his fault, some of his tactical, tactical or like selection-based missteps have become sort of increasingly unavoidable in recent weeks and months. So Pete, where do you stand on the issue of building towards a bigger picture and not necessarily diverting away from plan A, so to speak, versus... Fans like you and I, I'm sure, sitting there, you know, seeing the substitution or the tactical change that we would make that it kind of makes sense deep down that needs to be made. And then seemingly Arteta, who should know this, he should know this before us and he should know it better than us, sort of not acting on on it. How does that affect your judgment of Arteta as a manager? So I think yeah, I think with the, the Arteta thing, like we have to put a, put a few things straight on Arteta. Arsenal don't have the money to hire in a Pochettino who's going to want 15 million a year. He's going to want 150 million in the transfer window. We've hired, we've taken a chance on a young manager that has a, you know, a great reputation in the game, knows the club and he's willing to learn on the job and not have maximum resources. Um, so things are going to be up and down because we don't have a great squad. Um, of players and I think we've got a lot of good individual talent but it doesn't work together it's kind of like a little bit of Wenger a little bit of Emery a little bit of Sven some weird stuff with Raul it's a it's 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 not a squad that's in ideal shape at the moment um but I think after the good work that Arteta did last season getting us to a level I think that um I think that he might have got a little bit addicted to this idea of fine margins you know, our, our defence has been really solid. You know, we had this, you know, up until last weekend, we had the best defence in the Premier League this season. And last season, you could rely on Aubameyang to score. If he got two chances, you know that he's going to score one of them. 
this season, the fine margins game isn't quite working out because we're not scoring and we're not really creating enough chances. So, and, and one of Arteta's signings has been pretty appalling. Um, Willian is not efficient on the ball. He's not been creative and we've not got the most out of him. So I think the, we know that Arteta is, I, I think that he's going to be a generational coach. That's my, that's my take on him. I think the way he communicates, the way he thinks, the way he adapts, I think he's got everything to be a generational coach. But generational coaches learning on the job, they have to adapt and they have to realize when they're wrong and they have to change and they have to work with their team to, to make those changes. And there are some realities that he's got to deal with. Lacazette should not play through the middle. If, if, if you talk about those games that we lost, um, Leicester City, um, Manchester City, uh, like we sh- if uh, and, and Aston Villa, you know, if you've got Aubameyang through the middle in those games, he finishes those chances like as it misses. If he scores first, um, uh, you know, if he scores first against Aston Villa um, with that header, which was a sitter, the result's different because Aston Villa have to play in a different way. So, firstly, put your put your your out of form striker in the middle, and then I think that he's got to work out, you know. His his challenge before was how do you make Raheem Sterling, a fifty million pound player, into a world class winger? Now his challenge is how do you turn Nicolas Pepe, Reese Nelson, and Joe Willock into acceptable Premier League players? And there's risk involved in that because it might not work. But now we've seen what happens if we don't at least attempt something. We don't create any chances. So I think that. The second phase of Arteta is how does he adapt to the tools that he's got? How does he develop players? And how does he create some sort of mechanism where he can strike a balance between attack and defence? Because at the moment, we're playing Tony Pulis football and we're not creating anything. So I, I think that we've got the right manager, but he really has to make something work, especially in the next three games, which are really, really difficult. So if we're sort of conceding that these tactics are somewhat of a stopgap until he has the talented players at his disposal to maybe play more expansive football. Um, How much are you okay with, you know, biding our time versus him being too pragmatic and overthinking it and not being willing to make a change, try something new or seemingly from the outside, not being willing to try something new or at the very least, not something new. Try something old. Play Aubameyang through the middle. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because um, when a manager that's you know tagged progressive uh, gets it wrong, he's overthinking it. And actually, maybe he's not overthinking it. Maybe he's being completely pragmatic. We saw under Unai Emery what happens when this squad of players tries to play attacking, expansive football. You get ripped through the middle and you get ripped through defence. We saw what happened in the second half when we tried to play a more expansive brand of football. You know, Aston Villa smashed us. So I, I, think, the, um, I think that the reality of this squad is there, there is no silver bullet that is going to make us a more creative, that's going to make us an elite creative team that can play the brand of football that he wants to play. But I think that there are solves within the squad um, that he could make that come at the expense of maybe defensive solidity. And I think that he's got to take a chance on it because the, you know, again, I keep on going back to the fine margins. When fine margins work for you, you're a genius. When fine margins go against you, you look naive and and amateur. And I think that 
Um, he's got uh, he's got to work out like who's he going to take a chance on. Is it Joe Willock? Because Joe Willock has looked good against Europa League sides. Is it Reese Nelson because he's more direct? Is it giving Pepe a run through the middle as a striker? Like there's got to be something in there that can unlock Aubameyang for the goals and make us more of a, a threat because at the moment um, we're, we're easy to play against because um, there's there's a few attacking playbooks that if you can nullify, you know, we've got nothing and you know that we're going to sit back and uh, and wait. We're not uh, provocative in any way. I guess just one quick point to hang on that quickly, which is um, about, yeah, um, where we are seemingly lacking currently. You talk about Willock um, and maybe the concept that he's on the fringe maybe not doesn't have the faith of, uh, of Arteta to be put into that central position um, where he plays a more court sort of forward he runs in behind he connects with the forwards better than a Xhaka a Ceballos a Partey um, how much of it is a need for that type of player versus the finished article in the sense that you can put a Smith Rowe in there you can put a Willock in there you could even tell Ceballos to play 15 yards further up the pitch and it would create a dynamic in our team that has been lacking. How much do you think we just need to just go for it? Because clearly the strikers aren't getting the service from the midfield. And then how much of it is um, not wanting to cut off your nose to spite your face and realizing maybe they just aren't ready? Yeah, I, I think that, I, I think that you've, you've raised two really good points there. My, um, my suspicion is Arteta comes from Manchester City where there is a level of player. And if you don't hit that level, there's 10 players behind you. Like it, the people that don't make it at Manchester City could probably get in the, the starting 11 for Arsenal, no problem. And I think that um, there are two things that Arteta needs to do. Firstly, you've got to take a chance because there's not really an alternative. It's not working out. And I think if, fan, if it doesn't work out and you take a chance, Fans will be more forgiving, but I think fans are not going to be forgiving if you just keep on trying the same thing over and over again and it doesn't deliver. Um, and then there's, um, you know, having belief in people. Like someone might not be 100% at the moment, but there are plenty of examples over the year of players that might not have been ready who have taken that responsibility on and shone. Um, and Joe Willock, I don't know, he played like 42 games last season. I, I don't know about you, but I didn't know. I, I completely didn't realize that I was like wow I, I can't I can hardly remember a, a single performance um but if if he's ready and he's motivated and he can play like he has in the Europa League he certainly offers us something we don't have he might miss some chances he might make some bad passes and he might make mistakes but as Arsene Wenger says he said, when you invest in youth you have to just live with the fact that you're going to lose a few points here and there but potentially the positives outweigh the negatives and at the moment, like Willian looks terrible. He, he looks like he's come from, you know, a second division in Holland and he's, you know, he's trying to adapt to the pace of the league. So I, I think that, I think that he's, I think that he has got to take a chance and maybe it's Reese Nelson, maybe it's, um, maybe it's Pepe, but doing nothing and just relying on senior players that have let us down season after season, just, it, it, it doesn't, it, it's not, it, it's not, working well with the Arsenal fans and, and maybe we just need to see it work badly with Reese, Willock and um, and Pepe but I, I think that there needs to be a switch up we need more so I think someone wrote the other day there's no Mavericks in the side right there's no one that will try something they're like there are like without Ozil there's no risk takers and I think we need to get back to a, a, a bit of risk 
It's interesting, Pete, there, you mentioned um, Meza Ozil, because obviously you two, you've been talking about Arsenal. Clearly, there are there are problems at the moment. Clearly, it's from my perspective, it's very odd. Aubameyang isn't playing through the, the you know, in the centre. That seems strange to me. But you were talking about, yeah, needing something, a, a change, something a bit different. And something we ask everyone who's an Arsenal fan that comes on this podcast is, where do you stand on Meza Ozil? I mean, it doesn't look like he is going to play for Arsenal anytime soon, but could he be the solution to this current problem the Arsenal um, team is facing? No, I don't think so. Um, I think my my hope was at the start of the season, I mean, look, let's not, let's not um, get this twisted. Meza Ozil is the best creative player that we have at Arsenal without a shadow of a doubt. And um, my hope was the... Mikel Arteta was going to say, look, it's in your best interest to have one final good season with us because you'll either get a new deal with Arsenal or you'll you know, attract interest from around Europe. At the moment, who's going, to, who's going to give you a 300 grand a week contract? That was my mindset. So the fact that he hasn't been able to get that um, tells you that there are problems behind the scenes. And I know that, you know, that he's obviously not training to the level that he's supposed to. He's not doing the homework that's mandated by Arteta. He's not turning up to club Zoom calls. And he's obviously causing a problem. And like when you work in um, an industry that is, and you're trying to create an elite culture and you don't have elite players, everybody has to pull their weight and everybody has to be treated the same. And if a young player is training his heart out and he sees that Meza Ozil does not need to to get games and to be included in the squad, your whole high-performance culture vision collapses. Every part of a high-performance culture needs to be at 100% all the time. And if it's your most expensive, most prestigious, uh, you know, most trophied player underperforming and not hitting the standards that you need, it, it completely undermines your authority. And things must have been bad for Arsenal to say, not even in the squad. So we just have to trust that, um, that Arteta put the culture of the club first. And, you know, they just need to get through nine months. They need to reinvest that 18 million a year into a young, dynamic, hungry player that can move, that can defend, that can help um, the, the, the team structure more than Meza Ozil. But it's a real shame. And like every time we have a bad result and we don't create anything, you're like, ah, oh, imagine getting peak Ozil in this side or a more modern version of Ozil. So he shouldn't be in the squad, but, you know, of course we miss him. Yeah, I think he, what, he's too busy playing Fortnite or something. That's what everyone yeah. says. <laughs> he loves the Fortnite. Yeah, fair enough. You could probably make more money. I know some of these video games, like the winners, make insane money. So, I mean, he's already just earning the money. He's, maybe he can double up on some prize money with, uh, with Fortnite. Um, but moving on yeah. to, to actually, this is going to be our, our last section. And um, it's time for a feature, or it's, it's almost a bit of a game. But don't worry, Pete, no trivia. Um, and <laughs> great, great, great. We, <laughs> um, we haven't played this one in a, in a while, and it's, it's the, the Fantasy Lifetime Draft. That's what we call it. So between myself and Joe, and then John and Yanni, who are not on the call, but they're regular contributors to the podcast, we've all drafted starting 11s of our favorite and the best Arsenal players that we have had the pleasure of watching and supporting during our lifetimes. So of course, the four of us, we were literally in the same year at school. So our lifetimes perfectly overlap, and we have the same pool of players to pick from. Um, 
we're going to announce our 11s. And then Pete, if you would be so kind as to judge a winner. Um, and then after that, I have a bit of a twist for you as well. So I'm going to start by reading Yoni's 11. Um, he's not here, like I said, but he picked first. So he had the first pick. And what we did was maybe I'll share my screen. We created a massive pool of Arsenal great players across all the positions. They have to be 4-4-2. So Yoni affectionately referred to his team as Anorak FC, which is a reference to an episode we did with Andrew Keane, a Tottenham supporter who called Arsenal. Arsenal. Yeah, he well, see, oh. I guess that wouldn't have been his literal first pick. So he had first pick, and I think he probably went with uh, Vieira, I think might have been his actual oh, first pick. But then from there, we pick, and so he doesn't have the option to pick if other people take them. So his team is a 4-4-2, or I think of Chesney, Bellerin, Sol Campbell, Koscielny, Kieran Tierney, and then the midfield would be Overmars, Vieira, Gilberto, and Cazorla, and I guess Sanchez and Van Persie up top. So that's his team. I got the second pick. I can't remember who my first pick was. Probably Lehman, maybe, or Sesk. But my team is Lehman in goal, Sanya at right back, Torre and Mertesacker, Monreal at left back, and then midfield, Jumberg, Sesk, Flamini, Perez, up top, Aubameyang, and Giroud. Um, and my team actually was called, uh, it's uh, got a shout out to Miley Cyrus and Thomas Partey. So my team is Partey in the USA. Uh, Joe, <laughs> Joe, go uh, jump in for your team. Yeah, so this was quite a weird exercise for me picking a, an Arsenal team. But yeah, <laughs> but my, uh, my team name is team with awful, terrible support, or as I like to call them, twats. Um, a nice little acronym there. Um, but I've um, I've gone for David Seaman in goal. I have my um, my favourite Arsenal right back Laurent in there. Then we have um, Tony Adams and Martin Keown at centre back. Ashley Cole at left back. We have Fleb and Arshavin sort of out wide with Ramsey and Diaby, probably the most injury prone centre midfield pairing in the middle of the park. And then we have um, Dennis Bergamp and Thierry Henry up front. And I'll just I'll jump back in with John, who was going to be on the call, but something came up. So he was also supposed to be on the call when we did this draft and couldn't do that either. So we just kind of picked him a banter team. So this is just John's team. And it's Fabianski in goal, Justin Hoyt at right back, Holding and Bramall in centre-backs, Clichy on the left, midfield of Ray Parler, Jack Wilshire, Thomas Rosicki, rest in peace, Jose Antonio Reyes, and then up top, Bentner and Wiltor. So first, Pete, just take a moment if you need one. Who out of those four has the best team it's between uh yoni and joe i think um i you know i'm trying to work out like where the weaknesses or the kinks in the armor are and i think the uh joe's team's got the strongest defense um you know by quite quite a margin i think chesney like if we're talking about when he was at arsenal he was you know, smoking in the dressing rooms, not not the best. But oh gosh, um, I do I do like from a modern perspective, like an Alex Kleb, uh, Aaron Ramsey, Diaby when he was fit. You know, Andre Ashvin was pure joy. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. Yeah, just like he was just he was just so you know elite when he wanted to be, but he was a bit lazy. But uh, maybe, but I do think that. Yoni's attack is is and the defensive stability in that midfield of Vieira, Gilberto, like Mark Overmars, like outrageous pace, Sanchez, outrageous pace, and Robert Van Persie. 
um, was a phenom in a shit side where he was being fed by Alex Song. So I, I think Yoni just, but Joe, for a Spurs fan, you picked a pretty mean Arsenal team there. I like it. I know. It felt very weird, but that's... Um, Kai, is that Yoni's won every time? I think Yoni's won every really? time. He's done like oh, a, really? yeah, a Serie A draft, a Bundesliga draft, and a couple others, and I think Yoni wins every time. Um, so he'll be he'll be pleased to know that. But I said, Peter, I had a bit of a twist for you, and I think you can probably, if you see the screens, and see your name. So um, we didn't necessarily put every great player from our lifetime in the list. And I think, you know, we're, we're not hundred percent the same age. So you might have a few other players to pick from as well, but without being allowed to use a single player that's made it into our four teams, can you pick a leftover lifetime Arsenal 11 for yourself? Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, it's uh, Burn Leno. Okay. Interesting. Uh, ooh. God, Rami Shaban's in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had a bit of fun. Uh, Clichy. I think randomly, I, that's a mistake, because I guess Clichy oh, made uh, So you don't even have Clichy to choose from, sorry. You don't <laughs> even have... Like Armand Traore or something. <laughs> okay. Uh, oof. Uh, I mean... Oh, oh no. Debushi's... Uh... Jesus Christ, this is a... a, a... I guess Dixon. Oh, oh, we got our oh, Sagner. I've lost Sagner. Yeah, uh, <laughs> didn't make it easy for you. Yeah, can we can we do Dixon and Winterburn? Yeah, of course. Um, then in central defence, Gabriel Paulista. Uh, <laughs> who got sold? Yeah, let's go for uh, Thomas Vermaelen. Vermaelen's and... in John's team. Of a man's out as well. Oh, no, yeah. just looking for a left centre back. I've got Mikel Sylvester and Pascal Seagan for you. Let's go for Seagan because he was a bit of a cult hero. All right. <laughs> My brother's favourite defender ever. Yeah, he's brilliant. Uh, Senderos because he, you know, he did get to a Champions League final. Senderos and Seagan's quite a good ball yeah. centre back pairing as well. Good looking nice. pair of centre halves Beauties. Uh, then in centre midfield, uh, Wilsh is not available, right? No, he's gone. So um, I will have to go for um, Petit. That's pretty good. Petit and Diara for a bit of uh, solidity. Yeah, the one that got away, Lasana Diara. Yeah, when Arsene Wenger sold three defensive midfielders within six months and left us with none. Yeah, and Flamini um, on a free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, what else have I got? Um, wingers, uh, Saka for sure. Nice, nice. Uh, and um, Rosicki. Rosicki made it into John's as well. Um, okay. Let's put Javinho in there because he's absolutely yeah. on fire at the moment. Yeah, he and, loves uh, playing he in a, Italy. Yeah, he had a great hairline. Um, <laughs> did anybody take... Yeah, I've got Adebayor. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, oh, and Anelka. My God, nice. Anelka. What, what a dream of a player. Yeah, another one that got away. Um, so they Probably not it. winning the league, that team. <laughs> no, not anytime soon. Um, do you have a name for him by any chance off the top of your head? Um, uh, pro- Project Fifth. 
Project Fifth. There you go. And that's Project Fifth. Leno, Dixon, Senderos, Seagan, Winterrune, Jovino, Pettit, Petit, rather. <laughs> Our old headmaster was called Pettit. Um, Petit, Diara, Saka, Adebayor, and Anelka. And we decided earlier that Yoni as customary won. So <laughs> I'm sure he'll, like I was saying, he'll be pleased to hear that. But Joe, I'll let you take it away. Great. Well, um, that actually brings us to the end of proceedings for today. So as always, a big thank you to my co-host, Kaitel, but um, an even bigger thank you to our very special guest, Pete. Pete, I hope you've um, had a good time chatting about Arsenal with an Arsenal and bizarrely a Tottenham fan too. Yeah, I've had a great time. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Uh, um, just before we finish, how can our listeners um, follow what you're up to and kind of what you're posting through the Grove and all of that stuff? Uh, they can go to legrove.co.uk, uh, just type the Grove into Google and it will come up top. Um, or they can type the Arsenal Opinion Podcast into all major distributors, um, or they can just follow me at legrove on Brilliant. Twitter. And uh, Pete, real quick before you before you go, in one word, I'll just press you here um where are arsenal going to finish this season Oof, all right it feels like feels like fifth is the dream at the moment but okay. i i think that we'll be within spitting distance of the top four when it comes to march and if we're in spitting distance then you just never know what's going to happen so uh fingers crossed but i, I might have a different opinion in three months if we get Fair through enough. these next three games and beat wolves leicester and spurs yeah, I'll take spitting distance. As Biggest question. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Well, for everybody listening, if you want to follow us, um, we are at United Mates FP on Instagram, Twitter, and even Facebook too. And then you can watch um, all our videos on YouTube now. Just type in United Mates Football Podcast. Thank you very much and goodbye.